Hello and welcome to the Intrafish Podcast, where we bring you the most interesting and compelling seafood news. I'm Drew Cherry, Editor-in-Chief, joined by Executive Editor John Fiorillo. And we have a couple of topics that we want to dive into today. As usual, a very busy stretch of news at Intrafish uh, and in the seafood industry, but um, wow, these two really stood out. Uh, So... The Alaska Senator Dan Sullivan was on the floor of the U.S. Senate uh, yesterday and gave what you could only call a scathing uh, rant against Russian seafood imports coming in via China. Now, following the invasion of Ukraine by Russia last year, uh, the U.S., did, under the Biden administration, ban direct Russian seafood imports. That had an impact, in particular, on crab and the amount of crab coming into the U.S. market. Russia had a huge market for for king crab and and other crab species here in the United States. Um, But but the, the highest volume of Alaska pollock came via China. And um, China is critical for the Russian pollock fishery. Um, If you recall, the Alaska slash Russian pollock fishery is the world's largest single uh, wild fishery outside of smaller um, fish meal meal fisheries uh, in terms of weight anyway. But by value, it's the most valuable fishery on the face of the planet in the Bering Sea. About, I guess you could say it, it's not rough. It's not exactly half. Russia takes a little bit more, but um, it, fair to say that it, it's basically split uh, on both sides. Both sides have Marine Stewardship Council certification for their fish. Uh, all of that fish primarily makes its way into frozen, uh, frozen products in Europe, into Surimi, into Japan. Um, a pretty narrow, a narrow uh, span of product forms, and so the two suppliers compete with one another very heavily. Now, the Russian fishing sector obviously has run into a lot of closed doors. Uh, not only did the the U.S. Uh, government um, stop direct imports, um, also other markets have uh, either closed them out via high tariffs. Um, some companies have stepped away, uh, and moved towards other fish, but, you know, in general, Russian fish is still making its way into the market because of the amount that's reprocessed into China, uh, via China and via other Asian countries, but primarily China. So the difference between these two direct, uh, direct fishing in the United States uh, many of the factory trawlers that harvest pollock, uh, it, the, the fish is frozen on board. So you get what's called single frozen pollock. The other side of the ocean in Russia, it tends to be harvested by vessels that are only capable of, of uh, processing that fish into headed and gutted fish. That fish frozen, shipped to China, thawed, cut up, put into fillet uh, blocks, frozen again, and then shipped to market. Those are the basic two uh, components of of how the Russian uh, and American Pollock fisheries 
uh, operate in terms of getting product uh, product to market. Okay, we've got that down. Now, the issue is when you directly ban uh, fish from Russia, that's one thing. Um, but banning fish via China becomes quite a bit more complicated because you, you have to, number one, have a very good traceability system in place to stop that from uh, from coming in, and um, and you have to be able to enforce that. But not only that, when you start closing that door, importers get very very nervous because the amount of fish that continues to be processed in China is massive. Um, so regardless of what's happened with China during the, the COVID lockdowns and, and some of the issues they've had, China continues to be one of the largest exporters of uh, seafood into the United States by far uh, right up there. So um, Sullivan wants to close that loophole along with U.S. Senator Lisa Murkowski and Congresswoman Mary Peltola. Uh, and, and several others. The problem is they're not exactly on the same page with every other single uh, seafood company in the United States. Um, and that has put the National Fisheries Institute, which represents the industry, uh, and some other companies in kind of a weird position. Um, now, yesterday when Sullivan made his comments on the Senate floor, he was um, opposed by another U.S. Senator, Senator Ed Markey from Massachusetts, who I would say did not do uh, his constituents, um, in particular the company Gorton's, which is one of the leading frozen fish brands and a subsidiary of Nippon Suisun Kaisha, Japanese company. I don't think he did him any favors by highlighting that he was kind of acting on behalf of Gorton's by arguing against closing this uh, loophole of, of allowing Russian fish into the United States via China. So I'm going to stop there with that preamble. And John, let's start talking about this. Uh, what are the, the merits and, uh, and uh, drawbacks of how, uh, how this currently operates, of allowing Russian fish to come in via China? Um, what are your thoughts on whether or not this loophole gets closed? Well, first thought is this is a wonderful example of the complicated supply chain of the global seafood industry. <laughs> it, you know, we talk about it a lot and people who don't understand how seafood gets from the water to their plates, I think they'd be amazed at how complicated the supply chains can be. And this is a stark example of that. Now, as it relates to this specific situation, um, I find myself sitting in two camps. I find myself personally thinking, why are we allowing this? Why are we allowing money to go back to Soviet or to Russia um, to fund, in part, uh, as far as I can tell, the ongoing war in Ukraine. Why, why would we want to contribute in any way, directly or indirectly, to the the terrible situation over there? So, uh, on that front, uh, I'm kind of you know in step with Sullivan on this. I you know it's a war machine uh, that's uh, been unleashed, and 
they have to fuel it somehow with money and i think indirectly we're we're helping them do that now on the other side in the other camp i'm sitting here and thinking okay companies uh, like conagra that do mrs paul's and van de camps they use russian uh uh Captain D's big uh, fast food uh, seafood chain, they use Russian. Um, these businesses, as you mentioned, you know, we import a lot. We import a lot from China, not just Pollock, um, but the importers and those businesses and others I mentioned would would be it'd be hard for them. Now, the next question is, can the Alaska uh, Pollock sector fill the void? No. I don't think they can. Uh, I would need a uh, Alaska uh, expert on that, a Pollock expert. To, but my top of the head thought is, I don't think they can fill the void. So where would this Pollock come from? So there's two distinct places that my mind sits, and they they kind of oppose one another. But I I guess I'm not. I'm not really too bothered by Sullivan ranting and bringing this up uh, for discussion because everybody that you talked to, the minute those sanctions went into effect, the very first calls I started to receive, will they close a loophole with China? I, at the time, my answer was, I have no idea. My answer right now is, clearly not. And will this change that? Eh. Uh... I don't think so, but it it might. It certainly has kicked it up to a, a higher level. I disagree with you on that. I think this loophole is going to get closed. Um, I think that there is. Um, I think the effort that uh, that Murkowski and Sullivan uh, and several other uh, legislators and groups are putting into this. Uh, is going to be successful. And I, I think that for a couple of reasons. For one, in a way, there's not a whole lot of other levers that the U.S. government can pull on Russia right now. Um, they, you know, they've sanctioned many of the oligarchs. Um, they've got the direct, uh, the direct sanctions. Um, in terms of sanctioning products, there's not a whole lot of other things and, and individuals. There's not a whole lot of things that the U.S. government can do. And this is setting aside any arms or any other kind of support that will be provided to Ukraine. Um, so I think this is one of those symbolic uh, symbolic effort. Well, not symbolic in, in the seafood industry, but I think that it will it will resonate beyond just the seafood industry because people will see it as one more way to tighten the screws on Vladimir Putin. Um, so I, I think there could be a case made here, especially when the case is articulated that this is, uh, this is about protecting us fishermen. Um, we can argue about yeah, that but a what little happens- bit. What happens then when they get out there and they do that, and then uh, Joe or Joanne Shopper goes and grabs her pack of Van de Camp fish fingers, and they're a dollar more expensive? Well, there you go. I mean, do you think they're gonna fall on the sword of, 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 about Russia for 
for the fish sticks. I, I, I don't see it, but you know, they definitely, I mean, it, it the, when you start drawing in Gorton's and some big name companies as this has done in the last week, um, that can take it to another level. I agree with you. Uh, whether it's enough to close this loophole or not, I mean, we we just got done meeting with China and kind of apparently patching up some hurt feelings and, and all that. Um, is this you know is this where we want to like pick a pick a new fresh fight? I don't know, and um, I, I guess we'll have to see. But we got to also keep in mind that. Russia is building a very high-tech, brand-new fleet of processing vessels and and plants as well. So, I mean, I don't know if any of this money goes there. You know, it, there's just there there's several things involved here. But again, Sullivan's comments, Burkowski's comments, they they didn't really bother me. I I, I have to say, there's a part of me that totally says yeah you guys are right why why are we giving them anything anything that might help so i mean i i i think there's a a a couple things that you said here that there is political posturing here on the part of of uh murkowski and sullivan obviously they're representing their constituents they don't know these issues very well and the next step we're going to take in, in our talk here is going to be about another issue that they surely don't know much about. So the, they're representing their constituents. And that, of course, the Alaska industry, the Alaska Pollock industry does have a dog in the fight to continue to keep Russia out of the U.S. market. Absolutely. When you look at the volume coming in from Russia, um, it's not it's a totally different situation than it is in Europe, where they have so much volume coming into that market from uh, Russia via China. So here you could argue that it wouldn't have the the same strong impact on the consumer, number one. But second, I don't know, and this is why yesterday in the story that we wrote on it, um, they've been banging on banging this drum for a while, for sure. But where I feel yesterday was different, and you just mentioned this, was the way the way that Marky kind of hid behind Gordon's. I mean, you know, and totally. and by the way, Gordon's is not the only company. The National Fisheries Institute, many other companies are opposing this, and so it's not just uh gorton's however gorton sure got the brunt of this and um when you have a senator on the on the floor of the u.s senate saying oh yeah really it's because gorton's is leading the charge i mean he essentially he was trying to save face about his position on ukraine by saying it was his constituent that needed to look at it there's so many things silly about that that I don't even know where to start, but I do think it's unfair to Gorton's because Gorton's does not use a lot of twice frozen Pollock. Um, I mean, they, Nasui owns Unisi, which is a, a major single frozen. It's a major processor in of Pollock in Alaska as well. So I don't think Unisi wants, or I don't think Gorton's wants to necessarily die on this hill. I think after this week, 
You are going to see uh, probably Marky got a pretty angry call from Gorton's, I would guess, um, this <laughs> morning. <laughs> and I would also guess that you're not going to have a lot of companies if they see, oh, wow, so Alaska is going to make me look like some kind of uh, poster child for this. Like, I have to I have to be standing uh, out there arguing for allowing Russian fish into the U.S., it is not a good look. And I don't know that the money saved is going to be worth what could happen to the brand because, you know, we're in a day of social media where a hashtag, you know, Gorton supports Putin is going to take off or whatever. Um, And so to that, to your point, John, about consumers, I have a hard time seeing how the powerful consumer groups, you know, National Fisheries Institute isn't that powerful compared to like Food Marketing Institute or, you know, whatever, whatever consumer groups are, are going to, to, to weigh in on these types of things. Then I think you see some action. If they were to say, this is going to raise our prices, we cannot handle it, handle this in this inflationary environment. I don't see a lot of people jumping in, especially if they have Senator Marking, Markey representing them who will, you know, go out and say, oh, don't blame me, blame Gordon's. Well, let, let's uh, let's take a look at that a little bit. First of all, let's be clear. Gordon's uh, uses plenty of Alaska Pollock. They call it out on much of their packaging. I spend a lot of time in grocery stores looking at seafood, both frozen and fresh. And when I look at Gordon's, it seems to me that their value packs, which are their less expensive, those are the ones probably using um, chi- uh, imported from China um, uh, Pollock. So I, let's not let's not uh, mischaracterize this as a lot of their you know an overwhelming amount is is uh, is Russian origin because I think that's probably untrue. However. Okay, I'll take your point about the consumer groups getting involved. I I don't see it either. But let's take a a little piece of recent history as an example of consumer behavior, which is more uh, what I'm interested in watching. Crab, you mentioned crab, uh, king crab in particular. We got we have been getting so much of our supply from Russia over the years, more and more every year. Um. And when the uh, import ban came down on Russian seafood just after the war started, February 2022, um, you know, crab was not going to, there was no loophole. They, it was going to be banned. And unfortunately, they announced it in, I want to say March, Drew, but then they gave like this grace period to June. So there was this massive import of crab from Russia um, during that period. But also in preparation for what was going to be no imports uh, shortly thereafter, the price of king crab went through the sky. I, I mean, I believe if I'm correct, it was over 40 bucks a pound at Costco for a while. Um, it's it's come back a little bit, but and what happened? Well, we know exactly what happened because we have IRI data to watch. Crab sales went through the floor, just fell apart, disappeared, poof, gone. Um, now I'm not saying that same dynamic would work with 
with Pollock in this case, because Pollock is generally, you know, it's Surimi in the U.S. or it's in the Frozen case and sticks and stuff like that. But it does show us that consumers will punish you quickly and very quickly when it comes to seafood if if those prices get slightly out of their comfort zone. So, you know, I'm, I I... I don't think we're going to see any big consumer groups uh, jump on this bandwagon, but I do think, you know, a little price volatility in your bag of fish sticks could have, you know, significant uh, effects. Yeah. Well, good point. And I guess we'll kind of see how this all plays out. Um yeah, I, I again, I think there's sort of momentum here. I don't think it's just grandstanding because it feels like it's a time again where there, it just feels like there's a, it's a time where there's going to be some, a need for some more action on Ukraine and soft action. There's only so much military, uh, only so much military support. I think the U.S. is willing to give here. So they're they're continually looking for softer ways that they can uh, turn the screws. Now the other thing that uh, Sullivan said, and again, it's naive to think that Sullivan has all this data off the top of his head, right? His constituents are giving him a lot of this information, and uh, that's part of how government works. As you your constituents, especially ones that are powerful, are going to be feeding you, uh, you know, ideas, um, requests. Um, issues that they want you to bring to the Senate floor. So, um, so let's let's not be naive about that. This definitely isn't about just doing the right thing. This is also about benefiting constituents, about benefiting Alaska pollock producers in particular. Um, when that became kind of most clear, I think, is when Sullivan went on sort of a mid a mid speech tirade. Um, against the Marine Stewardship Council in the middle of kind of what he was talking about with uh, on Twice Frozen, which is really kind of neither here nor there uh, in a way. I mean, it's 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 fine, but clearly he needed to put get this in there. Um, and he mentioned uh, uh, he, he said the Marine Stewardship Council, and so. Uh, so he chose to to bring this up as part of this, and you know he laid into the MSC uh, hard, which is um, actually the second time that an Alaskan uh, has done so within the past month. So clearly, we've got an effort that's probably not going to go away either on this twice frozen issue or on the Marine Stewardship Council, which I think is much. That's quite interesting. It's very interesting. Here's just a, a little bit of what he said. Uh, you know, fit, Russian fisheries are certified as sustainable, the MSC. Um, this is a joke. It's ridiculous. Shame on you, MSC, for helping fund the Putin war machine. Um, and so it, 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 it's – I think it, it puts the MSC in a very tough position – um, and I think they're running out of the ability to sort of not answer this question about whether or not the MSC logo should be carried on uh, products that are harvested 
in Russian waters and certified to the MSC standard. First off, those fisheries were certified prior to Ukraine and have been for a long time, and they've been audited and certified. Those fisheries are considered well-managed fisheries under, you know, in, in terms of, of uh, how they meet the Marine Stewardship Council uh, certification. So that hasn't changed. Nothing has changed but the invasion of Ukraine. Uh, there's, there's going to be problems during the recertification because the, the certification to the MSC standard requires certification groups to be on the ground and, uh, and doing auditing. And there's no significant international groups that I am aware of or in any of our reporting that are willing to send people over there to do this work. So they would need to do it by a Russian uh, agency, um, presumably. But the, the, larger, the larger issue, I believe, is whether or not the MSC should be allowing the use of its certificate on that fish. I personally believe that those fisheries, I think the, the scientists and researchers operating in Russia are very, very skilled, talented uh, people by any accounts I've had uh, from their counterparts in the United States and from, uh, from, from others, that the management is really solid. And that won't change. What's happening in the fisheries management or the water won't change, I think. But but it has. It has already, right? Because I believe, and I believe this is with every fishery under the MSC program. Correct me if I'm wrong, and I, I often am, but don't every, doesn't every fishery have to be audited annually? And I'm not talking about a research that that's like, I think the research comes every five years, but I believe everyone has to go through an annual kind of checkup. Like when you go to the doctor, am I wrong on that? Uh, I'm not sure about that. I'm honestly not I'm, sure about that. I don't think I'm, so. Okay. Well, if I'm right and you don't think so, but I, I do, <laughs> um, uh, if I'm right, then they have not been sending folks over there to do that so but to your larger point and i totally agree these fisheries um earn the msc standard just or the seal just like the the pollock guys did and you know you could debate that all you want but they are managed they are uh from all measurements that we can see they're well managed and um so you know, from that point of view, uh, I, they they should be able to carry the the label. But I just, if it's true that they're supposed to be audited, that's just part of the procedure for every fishery. Um, and if that cannot be done, then the MSC has has a problem. They're not following their own rules. And um, but again, I'm. I'll have to look and see if that's truly the case as far as annual audits. But um, either way, your your point, your other point about when the recertification comes up, you need bodies over there that can look at everything. And if that can't happen, that can't happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and as you said, okay, the sort of the the management of the fisheries so far doesn't seem to have changed. Um, 
let me come back to that in just one second, though. The MSC has put itself in this position of kind of saying, no, we don't get into politics. We don't worry about this. It's sad what's happening, but our certificate is put onto certified fisheries. And that's all we do is somebody gets certified, they can use our certificate, which is um, maybe technically true. But the MSC has definitely been involved in politics before, like it or not. Um, this is something I'm going to tackle in a commentary too, by the way. So I don't want to. I'll leave some of my uh, <laughs> some of my thoughts for the commentary and not for this. Um, but um, but for example, in Northeast mackerel uh, fishery, um, there has been a political stalemate in getting agreement on the quota allocation between. Uh, countries there, uh, the coastal states. And the MSC, if you'll recall, uh, pulled its certificate saying, we don't feel like the management here is is working out. It's up to, you know, not up to, to par here. We're not going to certify, we're not going to um, certify these fisheries. We're not going to allow the use of our certificate on these fisheries. And so it's almost impossible for the MSC to not be involved somehow uh, in these politics and have an opinion, especially because it's an NGO that touts transparency, that touts social accountability. They do have a social, uh, in a burgeoning social element to their program. Not, it's not a major part of their program as, as, as it is with uh, some other certification programs, but it's a part of it. And I don't think you get more, um, you know, I, I don't think that a, a country that is uh, that is doing what Russia is, is doing, especially on the doorstep of, of Europe, um, I, I don't think that it's um, – I don't think that you can necessarily call uh, products coming out of the, the country sustainable uh, in that sense if you're looking at it ho- holistically. Again, the management – of the fishery and the health and sustainability of the actual biomass, probably fine. Um, but the other element of this, if the MSC says, well, it's just certification of our, uh, it's just use of our MSC label. We don't get involved in politics. So they did with the Northeast Atlantic mackerel. Now, Russia, you could call it posturing or not, but they've said, okay, you know what, we could set a unilateral quota in the Western Bering Sea for Pollock. Or you've kicked us out of ICs, which happened in the North Atlantic, and the ICs gives advice on harvesting Atlantic cod and, and other uh, North Atlantic species. Uh, they kicked out Russia because of the uh, the invasion. And Russia's really talked a lot um, about how they might set their own quotas or do their own management. Now, again, that's politics on the ground. I think the scientists in Russia are probably just pulling out their hair going, oh, come on, um, to put them in this terrible situation because these are fisheries researchers. They want the, the, the stock to be healthy, and Russian fishing companies want the stock to be healthy. Um, and they're, of course, caught in this crossfire as well. And you know, some of the companies do have links to oligarchs, and so you might say, well – you know, so what? But then many don't, right? Many Russian fisher, fishermen are just trying to fish um, and just trying to sell their products. But 
you know, the MSC, I think, is going to be is going to have a very, very difficult time not taking a stance. And the, the problem for them, even more so, is that it really, really, really doesn't look good. Alaska Pollock makes up a massive volume of the Certified Marine Stewardship Council seafood across the world. Massive volume, not just from Alaska, but from Russia as well. And it just does not look good because they now are funded by their local licensing fees, which that's paid for by people using the license and um, and major companies purchasing the products, or purchasing the the um, the fish, and then putting them on products. They are primarily major uh, major food manufacturers, right? So you're talking about. Uh, Nomad, which is bird's eye igloo and Findus, the largest frozen fish producer, branded frozen fish producer in the world. People like Frosta, another major German producer, people like Young Seafood. So those companies are in a really, really tough spot because they use a lot of twice frozen Russian Pollock in their uh, in their fish fingers and other frozen fish products. And they are facing all the inflation that everybody else is. And so while there have been some sanctions put in place, they very, very much want that Russian fish to keep flowing. Um, And as long as they have it flowing and put it into their products and use that MSC logo, the MSC will make uh, licensing fees from it. So it's really not a good look for any NGO. Um, And I just, uh, John, I don't see how the MSC is not going to, to need to come out uh, more forcefully on this. You know, they've given us comments that have been pretty mealy-mouthed, but I think they're going to need to come out and be much more forthright about how they feel about all this. Um, and uh, and I don't know where it lands. Um, I don't I don't know where where they they would end up and what would what would happen to the organization if they did that. Well, <laughs> they they. They came out and, um, you know, didn't have any trouble with the Maine lobster fishery and uh, uh, yanking its uh, MSC certification when, uh, you know, there were court cases and challenges to that fishery and its interaction with, with right whales, even though the fishery has never directly entangled a right whale or killed a right whale that we know of for decades, if not longer. Anyways, they didn't have any problem coming out with that one. This, you know, coming out and opposing that politically, I guess you'd say. But as you mentioned, I mean, Pollock is their their powerhouse. I mean, it, it generates, not only is it, you know, one of the big uh, metric tonnage uh, fisheries that they can uh, talk about, but as you said, it generates a lot of their revenue now um, through license uh, logo licensing. Back in the day, MSC survived on grants and the you know the donations of Packard and Pew and those big foundations. Those days are gone. Most of their revenue and it's the majority now comes from logo licensing. So. Um, like any company, you know, that's a big basket of business. And um, hmm, 
uh, you know, you think twice, three times, four times before upsetting that, I imagine. Yeah. Well, and yeah, I, I think that the, again, the big frozen fish producers, while they've started to find ways to pivot, they haven't really made, uh, they, they use so much twice frozen that there's, it's almost impossible for them to make sort mm-hmm. of a massive overnight shift here. Now, I asked an executive in the Pollock sector, actually just yesterday, whether or not the twice frozen, the volume of twice frozen that's purchased in Russia, or sorry, purchased uh, in Europe from Russia, uh, if there's any way that single frozen Pollock from the U.S. would be able to replace any significant amount of that volume. And it actually turns out that it's something the Alaska industry is looking at right now um, to try to sharpen that case a bit. Um, so I think obviously any any markets that the Alaska Pollock industry can develop, um, they're going to develop. And they, they, they obviously there there's a, a drive right now to um, tighten the screws on Russia. I think the Alaska Pollock industry sees the opportunity here, but um, it's it, it it's I think a much more complicated scenario in Europe than it is in the United States. But you know, as with the MSC, these raise this all raises a lot of questions about how to deal with uh, Russian product. Full stop, and whether or not a company purchasing Russian raw material should be quote unquote Russia shamed. I don't know how I feel about that. Um, I, I I really don't. And I, I think it's a difficult issue for a lot of people in the seafood industry um, to, to, to know uh, how to feel about. You know, interestingly enough, uh, when I was in Barcelona, I talked to Nitesh Paul, uh, who's the CEO of Polar Seafood Ukraine. Um, and, you know, Paul has... Yeah, of the people impacted by Russia's invasion of Ukraine, uh, he and his company have been among uh, among the hardest hit in uh, in the seafood industry, if not the hardest hit. Except, I guess that um, one company actually had its factory hit. However, what it's done for his personal life and for his employees, and um, it's just been devastating. And so. I asked him in an interview, you know, do you feel like Europeans are doing enough to turn away Russian seafood? And he said something really interesting. And he said, if you would have asked me six months ago, I would have said no. I would have said we need to stop buying everything. I would have said to be more aggressive. And he said, but I've softened my stance on that a bit because I believe that there are companies that are trying to do, uh, trying to just do business and get on with their their lives that are not uh, they're not in favor of the of the invasion. Um, yes, this is their government, um, but they're not. You know, they they're really. You know, his point was they're really not feeling that um, that that this is something that they can influence. And so I just thought that was very interesting. And it added, you know, to, to me, somebody who's so directly impacted by that, for him to say that, um, to, to provide that kind of nuance was was interesting. 
Yeah, and I think that goes for U.S. companies and probably any company. I mean, there are plenty that, uh, you know, probably have no support whatsoever for what's going on there. But um, they're businesses and they employ people and, um, you know, people need jobs, especially uh, in this time of inflation and all the kind of economic uh, disruption. So... You know they got a delicate dance to to do there, but I mean they're they're they probably think their first priority is to protecting their business and their employees, and I don't know how you can argue with that. That seems pretty legit to me. So, but yeah, oh, I, I mean if Sullivan's done nothing, he's resurrected some some really good uh, debate on this. <laughs> You know, again, a year, here we are, a year and, uh, you know, more than a year later, and um, we can't let this just be forgotten or, you know, fall to the back pages of the newspaper. But, yeah, it's it's interesting for sure. Yeah. Well, let's pivot to a different subject. So last week was our Future of Seafood Forum. We held it in New York City, uh, brought together a – very interesting, diverse crowd of top executives. And our, our aim and our goal was to try to look at some of the pressing issues that are either holding the seafood industry back or opportunities the seafood industry has for growth um, and and how, how the sector might capitalize on those or in what ways it's failing to capitalize on some of its opportunities. So we talked about a wide range of, of, uh, of topics, but uh, John and I wanted to focus on one uh, one uh, issue here that that I thought was probably one of the more defining issues, which I thought was kind of interesting because when we were planning the event and kind of um, thinking about the topics, uh, this didn't jump out as as sort of a central theme so much as I saw it as okay, this is something interesting that we need to have on our agenda to discuss, and that's cellular seafood. Um, so among the panels that, uh, that, um, that I moderated was, uh, was, uh, Shannon, uh, Cosentino Rausch of Finless Foods and Justin Kolbeck of Wild Type, um, two cellular seafood companies and, um, and to get an update on where the technology is, uh, how it's advanced in the past, year, uh, when it might be hitting shelves commercially, what it's going to need to succeed. And although we've been writing about this for a long time, John, or, you know, at least the last three to five years, it's been on our radar and much more so as it's developed in the past year or two. Um, it's definitely not been one. It's been novel, right? It's been, oh, this is kind of interesting. I wonder when this is going to affect things. But what I saw in last week's uh, event was a lot of the what I'm going to call conventional seafood executives were really really engaged on this and there during the networking sessions um, in sort of you know conversations you could see in the corner it was clear that this time around I think there's a different feeling and maybe it's the way that Colbeck and and um, and Roush really articulated this Um but one of the things they did on uh, in the discussion was they said, look, we're not plant-based seafood. This is a different – we are actual seafood, number one. 
And we're not out to compete. We're recognizing that there is going to be a massive shortage and we need more ideas for protein. And that could be any kind of protein, but we need more ideas for uh, sustainable protein, uh, scalable protein. And they see uh, their researchers have said, hey, you know what? Their their look at the market has said, hey, this is a good area. Let's look at seafood. I mean, they could do this with anything. They could do this with any bit of meat that you would want. But they see seafood, given its health benefits and, and given that there there's opportunity for it to grow, they see this as a, as a place they wanted to focus on. Now, they admitted um, – because I think they were given the opportunity, I just they, they haven't really been asked this so much, I think. They said, look, we don't know what we're doing when it comes to processing, marketing, or reaching the consumer. That's not what we do. We're, uh, we're PhDs. We're researchers. We're, uh, we are looking, we're looking at regulatory issues. We are looking at ways – to actually scale this and and get this to 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 market it at some point, but they they really reached out and said, "Hey, people in the conventional industry, we need your help. We we don't want you to think of us as a competitor. We don't want you to think of of something that that should be, um, you know, kind of sidelined. That we really want you to look at as something as as an add on and a way that we both can benefit as one more sort of." product in your supply chain and you could see and as i said the conversations that were being had were really really uh interesting and some that i sat in on in in networking um it was just fascinating because you could hear uh you know roush and you know somebody from the pollock or scallop sector kind of exchanging ideas and you suddenly saw these people they're thinking in a very conventional way and probably haven't had too haven't been challenged to change their business models in a long time um suddenly in this position of oh wait a minute i've got something to teach this new upstart emerging sector so i think we're going to see a real shift here john where we're going to see a lot more companies embracing it and i certainly walked away realizing that yeah if if this can scale and i certainly think it can it will absolutely be a part of the seafood supply chain. And you know what? It may be a lot sooner than we think because we went from a touchscreen iPhone being launched to all of us having these things in our pockets in a very, very, very short period of time. Yeah, well, uh, I can't agree more. I mean, just this week, the FDA approved, quote unquote, cultivated meat, in this case, chicken, uh, to be sold in the U.S., so horse out of the barn, as they say. Um, I totally agree with the uh, separation of plant-based and cell culture. I mean, plant-based to me, is it's, its ceiling is very low and limited, and you're already seeing that. Um, I just don't think there's enough value proposition there for a general consumer. You know, they'll have I'll have the uh, people who want that, but I don't see that eating into seafood, traditional seafoods market share in any meaningful way. Cellular, however, let's keep in mind, these are stem cells from fish. This is fish. This isn't 
you know, legumes uh, mashed into something that resembles fish. This is fish. Now, it's made in a lab, which is in, an important distinction, but it's still fish. So, uh, assuming these guys do scale this and there's so much money pouring into the technology right now, it's hard for me to believe that they won't, but, you know, we'll see. Um, I think any seafood company of with uh, ounce of smarts would be uh, doing exactly what you said. They'd be looking to these groups to see where there's commonality, where they can work together. Because at some point, let's remember way back in the day, <laughs> at some point there was just wild seafood. And then this stuff started coming. Oh, it's farm seafood. Oh, yeah. Well, we sell wild, wild, wild. That's seafood. This stuff isn't real seafood. Well, here we are. Not too long down the road from that and farm seafood accounts for a higher percentage of global seafood production than wild and that is always going to be the case and the spread's going to grow more and more and more but the companies that once poo-pooed farmed fish and you know claim they would never sell it you know blah 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 well, that that's all gone away. I mean, everybody, whether they're Alaska producers or whomever they are, they all sell wild and farmed and, you know, together, and it's one big happy family. Same scenario is going to unfold here, you know, and, and but I think to your point, I think the industry's a little smarter right now than maybe back in the farm wild debate, and I think it's... It, it, it will probably not let this devolve into, you know, oh, sell, it's, you know, made in a lab by crazy mad scientists. And, you know, I, I don't think they'll let it devolve into that type of, uh, you know, debate, so to speak. So, and, and they shouldn't because this is the legit competition. This is going to change this industry over the next decade and more. This, not plant-based, this, cell-based. So, you know, you can watch the train go by or you can hop on and, you know, help out. I, I don't know. But that's just my take. I could be completely wrong. I find myself in agreement with you for once, John. So this is a this is Yay! a good a good <laughs> peaceful detente. Is that how you pronounce it? Detente. This is a good peaceful detente. detente. There's no detente. It's detente. I like adding a little more flavor to my words. So, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, thank you everybody for joining us. Just a reminder: you can find us on intrafish.com twenty-four-seven. Uh, you can subscribe to our newsletters. There's several newsletters to kind of fit any uh, any news need or topic that you're interested in. If you're a subscriber, even better, you could sign up for our alerts to get specifically the news that you want to get, be that company, species, uh, whatever it might be. Uh, also, make sure and download our app. So that is available on the App Store and on Google Play. Uh, it's a great way to get our content on the go. Uh, there's some really cool features. You can also get uh, push notifications for recommended stories that we feel like you absolutely must read. Uh, and breaking news, which, of course, we, uh, we 
dig up a lot of it. So if you want to be first on that, best way to do it is get the app. Um, all right, folks, uh, we will talk to you next time. <laughs>